Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Entering into the Christian world after I became a believer was a little bit of a culture shock. I had never had any exposure to other people who believed in Jesus. I didn't have much exposure to anyone who would consider themselves to be a Christian. I definitely had never been into a church before. I had no idea what that would be like. When I became a believer, I was in the synagogue. I was studying to become a rabbi. And in my devotion to become a rabbi, I decided to be a little more enthusiastic than others who were in a similar pursuit as I. In my enthusiasm, I decided to read the scriptures and study the scriptures to include the prophets and the writings and to discover also who the Messiah should be. How would we know if the Messiah ever arrived? I mean, what would it mean for somebody to be the Messiah? What were the problems that the Messiah would solve? So that when he came, I would be certain to be able to identify who he was and there wouldn't be any confusion, at least not in my mind. And in my pursuit of understanding who the Messiah, who the Savior would be, and how I would know who he is, I came to discover that the only one who could ever or would ever possibly qualify would be the Lord Jesus himself. And that was part of my decision-making process in terms of coming to the point in my own personal life of discovering that he is who he claimed to be. Now, as I explained earlier, it was a little bit of a culture shock. There was a different vocabulary that people used. There were different kinds of people, people who I had never had much exposure to before. There was quite a variety of individuals in the sense that there were some people who were committed, some people who were not that committed, some people who were sincere, other people who weren't that sincere. Of course, there were people like that in Judaism, but in Christianity, there seemed to be some interesting extremes on both ends that I never really encountered so much in Judaism. And so this was a bit of a culture shock also to discover that people were trying to live in obedience to the law. Now, they certainly were not living in obedience to all of the law. They picked out a few that they enjoyed or that they liked or probably that they thought that they could obey easily. Or they picked out a law of their own creation that was very similar to the laws that God gave through Moses. But either way, the way that people lived was very similar. And it took a little while for me to identify this, but I eventually did. I recognized that people did live a life trying to become better people, trying to be obedient to God, trying to repent from their sins, trying to do good works, and perhaps their good works could outweigh their bad works. And people were motivated to do that for a variety of reasons. If not because they were trying to gain favor with God, they would do that in order to try to gain favor with other people, or in order to compare themselves with other people, in order to make themselves look better, things like that. The same thing occurred in the synagogue, as I saw was occurring in the Christian world. It's just that it was different, different people, different vocabulary, different culture. But the bottom line was still the same. Do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil, or do we not live according to the knowledge of good and evil?
Now, one of the interesting things that I began to really understand after I entered into the Christian world is that this is not culturally specific. This is not specific with regards to nationality, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile or a Russian or an American or whatever. It didn't matter who you were. What mattered was how you lived and what you decided to do with your life and how you lived your life. Now, when I entered into the Christian world, I had already had significant experience both in the synagogue and in the world, the regular world, the people who are lost, who totally reject the existence of God. And so I had a pretty good understanding of what it was like for a person to be religious or not religious. I myself spent a number of years in my life where I was not a part of the synagogue at all. I was out there indulging my flesh just like anybody else would who was in my age group or with my limited experience that I had. I know what it is to be religious. I know what it is to be lost without any acknowledgement of God. And I know what it is to live in the new covenant according to what the Lord Jesus has done for us. One of the things that I observed, however, in the Christian world that was very new to me was that there were many people in the Christian world who were not very sincere. There were many people, a lot of people. And today I still find a lot of people who are not that sincere about what they say they believe. They're not very sincere about it at all. There are people who lie who steal, who commit fraud, who commit all kinds of sins that you wouldn't expect a Christian to commit. I found that kind of unusual, especially because in the world, with those people who do not acknowledge God at all, they didn't commit as much sin as I saw people in the church committing. I know that might sound a little bit awkward, and of course this does differ and vary depending upon what church I would be referring to or what church you would have exposure to, but I found in many cases that the sin in the church was much greater than the sin in the world. And over time, I discovered that there were a number of reasons for that. One of the reasons was because there were a lot of people who went into the church who did not believe in Jesus. A lot of people are there. I know it might sound a little unusual for me to say this, but it turns out that there are a lot of people who are members of churches who don't really believe in Jesus or don't have any conviction towards him. They don't really believe what they claim that they believe. They're just simply not that sincere. And so what are they doing there? Well, they are being deceptive. They are being dishonest for whatever reason. There's different reasons. One of the reasons can simply be because they're looking for business contacts or they're looking for people to sell things to. They're looking for people who might be a little bit more trusting than people who do not believe in Jesus might be. You know, it's a very common thing for people to make agreements with each other and say things like, listen, we're Christians, we're brethren, we're brothers and sisters or whatever, and so we should have some trust with each other. We should take care of each other a little bit better than the people in the world. But what usually happens is fraud, lies, deception. Over time, I've developed a little bit of an attitude because I've seen this happen so often. My attitude is is that if a person has to claim to be a Christian or they have to call upon God 
or use his name in order to support a sale or in order to establish a covenant with somebody else, an agreement or a contract, if they have to claim that they are a Christian in order to justify getting somebody else to trust them, then it's probably because they cannot stand on their own character, on their own merit. You know, their credit report might not look so good themselves, and so they have to call upon divine intervention to make an agreement with somebody else. But, you know, in the world, in the lost world, with people who do not believe in God, they have to stand on their own merits. They really do. They have to stand and live on their own integrity. They really do have to rely on their reputation. They have to rely on their successes in the past. They have to have something that they can use to establish their credibility because they can't just claim to be a Christian and then everybody should just believe them and make agreements with them and expect them to fulfill what they are going to fulfill because they might be concerned about divine intervention in the negative sense that the living God might intervene and cause harm to them because they committed fraud, theft, or because they lied. In the world, people really do have to be very careful. They have to be honest. They have to have integrity, but in many ways in the church, people do not have to be honest. They do not have to have integrity. I know this might sound a little awkward, but if you don't believe me, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to believe me. I would just like to encourage you to get out there a little bit more often and spend a little bit more time with other people, with different denominations, with different groups, different churches. And I believe that over time, you'll come to recognize what I am talking about. Now, I, of course, am not saying that because I want to compare myself with them or compare the world with other Christians or whatever, and so I can condemn them and make them feel guilty and perhaps inspire them to be a little bit better. That's not why I'm saying that. The reason why I am saying that is because I want you to understand that you do not have to be a believer in God in order to be a pretty good person. You don't have to do that. You don't have to have any faith. You don't have to believe in Jesus in order to live your life without stealing from other people. You know, this might sound a little bit surprising to you to discover this, that when it comes to marriages, just to give you an example, there are a lot of divorces that take place between Christian people. Their marriages don't succeed. They fail for a variety of reasons, of course. These reasons might be justified or not justified. That's not my purpose in saying that. I want you to understand that there are people who claim to be Christians who do not find a way to live in peace with another person. And a divorce is one of the consequences of this. However, when it comes to the world, this might be a little surprising for you to discover that when it comes to people who do not believe that there is a God, who totally reject the Lord Jesus entirely, there are many people who find ways of living in peace with other people to the extent where they never get divorced. There are people like that who don't believe in God. There are people who do, whose marriages fail and also succeed. And in the world, there are people who do not, whose marriages fail and succeed. There is fraud and theft on both sides. It's very interesting to watch this and observe this over a lifetime. I personally believe that it's a wonderful opportunity for you to see that people live according to their knowledge of good and evil. They really do. They really do live according to their convictions about what's right, about what's wrong. They will do that. And even though, 
even though a lost person does not believe in God, does not believe in the Ten Commandments or the other 603, even though a person may not acknowledge the law that God has given, they have a law that they believe in, or they have a law that they follow. And chances are they do pretty well at that. Some don't, but I know many who do. When they do that, when people really live according to their knowledge of good and evil, and they live a pretty good life, when people do that, it is evidence to show that you do not need to have any faith in God in order to live according to the law. Again, when you spend enough time looking at the world and the way the lost people live, to me it is clear evidence to show that you do not need to have any faith. You do not need to believe in God in order to live according to the law. The Sadducees were a great example. They did believe to an extent that there was a God, but they did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe that there would be any divine intervention in the future after physical death in their lives personally. The Pharisees did. They did believe in another judgment, and they did believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees lived according to the Mosaic Law because they felt it was a good way of life. The Pharisees lived according to the Mosaic Law because they believed that God would bless them in return. People live according to their knowledge of good and evil for different reasons. They don't have to believe in God in order to do that. They don't have to have any faith in order to do that. It is the same today. In order to be a member of a church, you don't have to believe that there's a God. You don't have to believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, I understand that some membership requirements do require a person to believe that and maybe go through baptism or whatever. But in order to be a participant, in order to be a part of the congregation, in order to become a part of the community, you don't have to believe any of that stuff. All you have to do is identify the law that that religious community lives by, the law that governs how people live their lives and just simply live that way. You know, if you're a part of one community who says you can never see certain kinds of movies, you know, any movie that's rated above PG or something like that, then don't do it. If the community says you are never to go swimming, then don't do it. If the community says that you are to never eat bacon double cheeseburgers, then don't do it. And you will be accepted by that community. You will be a part of that community. They will look at you as if you are an individual who does believe like they believe. You must understand, though, that there is no necessity for an individual to believe in God in order to follow a set of laws, in order to live according to a collection of laws. You have no need for faith. No need for that at all. When it came to the dispute in the early church between Paul and the church in Jerusalem, this was one of those core issues. Are we going to live by faith? Or are we going to live by works? If you're going to live by works, you don't need any faith. You don't need any faith at all. You know, it takes a tremendous amount of faith to live according to the new covenant. A tremendous amount of faith. But for the most part, people have no idea what that means because they're trying to blend the old covenant and the new covenant together. Let me give you an example. One of the interesting things that I discovered was people who were saying things like, before I came to know Christ, 
I had no interest in living in obedience to God's commandments. But now that I have come to Christ, I really want to live according to His commandments. And people will say that to me as if as if there's some profound meaning to that in some way. I have no idea why they really believe that that means something. Because like I said, I know lots of people who live in obedience to those commandments themselves, even though they don't do so. They don't do so because they're trying to impress you or because they're trying to impress God. They do so because they believe that that's a good way of life. And in many cases, they do it a lot better than these other people do. What about the people who I grew up with in rabbinical Judaism? What about those people? They lived in obedience to the commandments because they wanted to. They're very sincere about it. They're very devoted about that. And they should be commended for that in many ways. I respect my people a great deal, those who are sincere, those who are true, to what they believe. I can respect that. I don't think that God is going to respect that to the extent where he's going to allow them to go into heaven. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that just because you think that you're impressive, or just because you think that your heart has been changed because you now believe in God, doesn't mean that you're going to be any more impressive than anybody else. And by the way, again, you don't need to have any faith to want to obey the commandments. You don't have to have any faith for that. That's my point. My point is very simple, that there are people who assume that there is some connection between living according to the law and living by faith. The Apostle Paul struggled with the people during his time over this issue a lot. The people who were being discipled by those in Jerusalem were telling others that they just needed to live by the law. Paul said that living by faith is totally different, that it has nothing to do with the law. So why would people have such a hard time with this? Why would people have such a difficult time with living by faith? Let me tell you, it's really quite simple. People do not want to trust God. That's the problem. They don't really want to believe God. You see, in order to live by the law, you don't have to trust God. You don't have to believe God. You don't even have to believe that he exists. But in order to live by faith, as is described by the new covenant, you do have to trust him. You know, quite often I have to explain to people that the life in Christ Jesus has nothing to do with living a life of indulging the flesh or restraining the flesh. It is a life that is based completely on trusting and believing in what God has done, trusting and believing in what he has given, and living your life according to what he has given. And in many ways, this escapes people. People never discover what this really means because they won't trust God concerning this. They won't trust him when he said it is finished. Stop living your life trying to get forgiveness. Stop living your life according to the knowledge of good and evil. Stop living your life according to the law. Stop it. And live your life being thankful for what he has done. And people think, well, what is that going to do? How is that going to change who I am? You know, you have to trust him. You have to trust him to change and transform you from the inside, not knowing how he's going to accomplish it. It does require a tremendous amount of trust and faith to step out of both the world and out of religion. 
a tremendous amount of faith. Now, this faith was revealed in a small way through Abraham, a small way, because Abraham believed God when God told him that through him the Messiah would come. He believed him. He didn't know how he would do it. He didn't know when he would do it. He didn't know in what way he would do it. That's the point. He believed, he trusted, and he was right with God from God's point of view from that day forward because he trusted his God. It's the same thing with you and I. We may have no idea how the Messiah will transform our lives, when he will transform our lives, and what I mean is transform us from the inside. That's what I mean by transform our lives in this context. We have no idea how, when, or even if he's going to do that. But what we do know is that we can trust him to do a work within us, even though we don't know what that is going to be or what that's going to look like. And if we will do that, then we will believe as Abraham believed. But the comparison between the faith that has now been revealed and what was revealed to Abraham is so profound, is so different, that it is as if they are two different expressions of faith. But in reality, it is the same in the context of trust. The difference has to do with trust what? Trust in what? Trust for what reason? That's where the differences lie. And why I would say that the faith that has now been revealed through the Lord Jesus is different from the faith that was revealed through Abraham, at least to that extent. Because now we have the Messiah. You see, through Abraham, he believed that the Messiah would come. Now that the Messiah has come, we have to trust and believe that our God will resurrect us, transform and change us, and allow us to be participants in the work that he is doing. So with that, I can explain Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Beginning in Galatians chapter 3, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. In verse 23, again, afterward be revealed. The law kept us under guard. It kept us as a prisoner until the Messiah would come and provide us with the new covenant, invoke the new covenant so that we could leave the law. We could step away from the law. We could turn away from the law so that we could enter into and begin to live according to the faith that would afterward be revealed. What was the faith that was revealed after the law? It was a faith that said we are no longer to live according to the law, which defines what we do, but we are now to live according to what he has done, and we are to trust and believe in what he has accomplished, and in what he will accomplish with us in the future. Then he goes on in verse 24, and he says, Therefore, therefore, as a conclusion to everything that was said previously, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In other words, we are no longer under the law because we have been tutored, because faith has now come. Now, going back to verse 24, he says that we might be justified by faith, which means that you could not be justified by the law. 
You will only be justified by faith, which means that you must have faith. You must trust and believe in the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the Holy Spirit. That is your only opportunity to be justified before your God, who is just, who has committed his justice, his judgment. It has been accomplished. All has been fulfilled. Now, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. It was a schoolmaster, in other translations. It was given to bring us to a certain point. Now, unfortunately, what most people do is they look at this and they say, all right, what this means is, is that we don't really know how to obey God. And so he gave us the law in order to teach us how to obey God. And then after a while, we we don't necessarily need to be reminded of the law. We're going to continue to live according to the law as we have been taught. That is what a lot of people believe, and I totally reject that. I don't think that we are to begin to learn how to live according to the law, and then after a while, we don't need it anymore because we know it all, and then we can just live that way. Like I said, that's no different than an unbeliever. That's no different from a religious Jew during this time. It's no different. It's no different than anyone who is extremely religious but does not believe in Jesus. Again, you don't need to believe in Jesus in order to live that way. You don't need him in order to live if the law is your way of life. Instead, what he is communicating here in verses 24 and 25 is that It was a tutor, it was a schoolmaster, it was a teacher, it was something that would lead us to Christ. How would it lead us to Christ? Well, first of all, in order to be saved, you must first recognize that you have a need to be saved. You need to be saved, and you have to know this, you have to understand this. If you don't know that you have a need for forgiveness, then what does it mean? For Christ to say, I have forgiven you, it means nothing. The law taught us that we have a need for forgiveness, that we have a need for mercy. After it has accomplished that, its work has been fulfilled in our lives. It is now time to leave the tutor, leave the schoolmaster, and now live according to the new covenant that we have now entered into. Because what we learned was that we have a need for the grace and mercy of God, and without that, we would have nothing. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.